All right, great singing, great specials. Thank you for being here this morning, and uh, thank you for your faithfulness to attendance to church. And we're not, we've been going through a series on Sunday mornings with our theme, More Church. We're not specifically in that series, although that is our theme for the year. There's something I want us to see uh, this morning from the book of Exodus I think will help us if, um, if we will pay attention here. Problems are unfortunately or fortunately, problems are a part of life. Things come into our life as a course of living that just we have to deal with. And um, good thing about them is God can use those to, to work in our lives to make us better. Uh, we've all probably all heard of the phrase acid test, right? How many ever heard of that? Well, that came about when gold was starting to become valuable. And of course, people are very, um, very cunning. And so they figured if we can get people to buy stuff that's not gold, we can make some money. And so they came up with this test to, to prove the authenticity of gold. They use this certain acid and they pour it on there. If it was there, it was genuine. That's kind of how problems are in our life. Uh, you read the book of James, he talks about how God brings trials and things into our life. And if we will allow that to work in our life and we will get from it what God has for us, it makes our faith, it proves the genuineness of our faith. And the fact of the matter is it matures us and it makes us better. But there are also problems and situations we go through that are not like that. The worst problems we go through are these, the ones we didn't have to go through. The worst situations, the worst worst trials, sometimes a person will go through are ones that they didn't have to go through. And yet they go through them anyhow. Why? We call those self-inflicted. We're in Exodus chapter 8 this morning. As you know this, we're going through the 10 plagues there. And this is the fourth one, the plagues of flies. And the plagues were God's judgment from God, his judgment to gain the freedom of his people, to bring judgment on Egypt, and really to show his power to that area there. So that when they went into the promised land, the people of the promised land that were dwelling there were actually afraid of the Israelites because of what God had done years earlier. And so it works out exactly as God said, the people are going to be free. They even get to plunder the Egyptians. On the way out, they're asking, and they're giving them whatever they want. And God did judge the land. The land of Egypt was decimated. It was was not very good. The fact of the matter is the people couldn't get the Israelites out of there fast enough. They They were pushing them out the door, and God's power was known. Now, we know that there are 10 plagues, and I I won't go through all of them for uh, sake of time, but these plagues were not only a judgment on uh, on Egypt uh, specifically, it was also a judgment on the gods of Egypt. Exodus chapter 12, 12 says this, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. I mentioned it before. Each of the the different uh, plagues targeted a false god in Egypt. Now, what I want us to do, the reason we're looking at this fourth one is for a specific purpose. Look at verse 22 again. As he goes in and he's going to, to tell a Pharaoh again about the next one coming, God gives a purpose for it. Verse 22, and I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end that thou mayest know that I am the Lord 
in the midst of the earth. And I will put division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. Now, I want you to understand that this is the first plague that specifically mentions that the children of Israel, Goshen was where they primarily were, that God was going to make it different for them. They were going to be protected from all of these different plagues. Now, I believe quite possibly that they did not suffer very much in the first plagues as well. But God made it real clear here that as I'm bringing this judgment, my people are not going to suffer any of it. They are going to be, in a sense, protective. Why would that be? Because there's a vast difference between the Israelites, God's people, and the Egyptians. The Egyptians were wrong in so many things. Their, their, their form of worship was wrong. The way they treated people was wrong. And we know Egypt's a picture of the world, but, but they were different. God's people were to be different than those not just in Egypt, but those of the land once they got into the promised land. God wanted them to be different. That was caused by their beliefs. They were God's people. God made it clear. He said that I will sever them in that day, make them different so that the world would know there's a God, that they are separated, they are different, there's a division. They're not gonna be like the other people. And the key is that there is a difference. And by the way, let me say this. There ought to be a difference in the lives of God's people as opposed to everybody else. Why, pastor? Because we're better than them? No, we're not better than them. The difference is not because of us. The difference is because of the God in whom we serve. The difference is in the fact that if we will follow God, that we will escape a lot of the things that others experience and go through. God wants us to be different. And we're different because of the way we live our lives. And, you, and let me just say this. That should be clearly visible to everybody. The Egyptians saw it. They saw that their land was decimated. They were losing everything. And, the God's, and God's people were not. So it would, be very, it would be clearly evidenced by the results in their lives. Now, let me say this. If we are following the Bible, and that ought to be the goal of every Christian, we ought not to be satisfied with just being saved. And that even sounds funny to say, just being saved. Saved's a big deal. But most people are like, well, I'm saved and I got that settled. No, no, no. God has far more for you than that. God wants you to follow his word. God wants us to, wants to sever us. God wants us to be different. That only happens as we follow his word. One of the great benefits of doing that, though, is that we do not, listen now, we do not have to go through some of the things that the people who do not know God, the people who live in this world, go through simply because they're not following the word of God. Living a biblical lifestyle helps us to miss all of those negatives, all of the consequences that come with a life of disobedience to God's word. You know what the sad thing is? Statistics will tell us. God's people or people who claim to be God's people, all of the statistics tell us that there's not much difference in what goes on in their life. There's not much difference in the things they experience in their life than those who aren't saved. Those who don't claim to be Christians. That ought not to be. Why is that? 
We're not following the Bible. And when we don't follow the Bible, we are going to experience some things that we don't need to. So here's the point. Let's miss all of that. I mean, look, drama is drama, but you know what? If you don't have to experience drama, why? I've been doing this a long time, and I've met people, I almost think that they enjoy living in drama. They go from problem to problem to problem. And they want to trounce into the office, and they think that I can open my desk, and I have magic spoofle dust that will take away the consequences of what they are doing. And let me just explain to you, if you want to come talk to me, that's great, but I'm not as much uh, concerned about the consequences as I am getting down to the root of the problem. Right? If you don't, look, uh, years ago, we were at our house on El Cedro, we had a, we put in a, a, a we put in a, 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 a playground for the kids. And so we put a little piece of wood and, you know, we, we cut all the grass down, we thought we had dirt. And we put a bunch of bark in there. And so every Friday, I'd, I'd do the lawn mowing and all that stuff. And the grass would be growing through the bark. So what was my plan? I just grabbed the weed whacker. Like, zzz. And guess what? Every week, same thing. You know what we had to do? We had to, I didn't want to do it, but we had to clear it all out. We had to get rid of all of it and put a little thin thing of concrete down there so that the grass wouldn't come up. We had to get rid of the, the, the root of the, the problem. But what we want to do is, we're like, here's the consequence, let me chop off the consequence, and we don't get to the root of the problem, and guess what? You're just going to have the same consequence, it's just going to look a little bit different. And it doesn't need to be like that. God wants us to avoid all of the drama. Let's see what the Egyptians, and I'll go real quick, I just have a list here, but I'm just going to, I'm trying to make the point. Let's see some of the things that they missed because God made them different. Look at verse 24 of chapter eight. And the Lord did so, and there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. One thing that they missed was the grief. I can't imagine a swarm of flies in the house. Come on. Sometimes I I sit there reading and a fly's in the house in the summer. It's like one fly and it irritates me. How many know I'm talking about? And I'll sit there and I'll try to ignore it and it buzzes by my head and finally I'm like, it's war. I'm going to kill that thing. It's just annoying. Could you imagine swarms of flies? And it says it was grievous. It was a source of grief to them. You know, most people live with grief. I'm not talking about grief that comes as a course of life or we lose a loved one or something like that. We can get through that. By the way, Brother Martin's message last Sunday was fantastic. Peace. God doesn't want us to have grief. He wants us to have peace. And as the Egyptians are getting inundated with flies, uh, here, here are the Israelites, not a one. They didn't even need, you know, a fly swatter or one of those electric things or, you know, one of those little things that fools the flies and they they fly in and they can't fly out, that type of thing. They didn't need that. Look, if you're living with grief that's caused by a lack of obedience to God's word, that's not God's plan. That's your consequence. Grief. I understand that all of us go through things that are painful, but there's a big difference between something that comes our way in the course of life and something we bring on. 
grief. Most people don't have peace in their life. Most, most people, everything's turmoil. Everything is just like, just, they go from one thing to another, to another, to another. And it's like, can we, can we just get off of this road? You can. It's called following God's word. And I'm not saying everything's going to be perfect. You understand that. But anything inside of that that comes our way, it is something God has allowed. And it is something that God will help us to get through. And God will give us the grace to get through it. But not if we're bringing it upon ourselves. You have grief today? Disobedience always brings pain. It just does. But when we keep that close relationship with God, we always have peace. So there's grief. There's corruption. Finishing out in verse 24. And into all the land of Egypt, the land was corrupted by reason of the swarms of flies. It's just ruined, filthy, disgusting. By the way, corruption kills things. Corruption ruins things. Everywhere we look around our society, you can see the corruption everywhere. We are. We do. It's horrible. They target in our children. I mean, look, it, 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 I don't know how old you got to be to get a tattoo. My daughter tried to get one the other day. She's not old enough. Just kidding. You, you, you have to be a certain age to get a tattoo. You got to be a certain age to, 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 to get a driver's license. Come on. To vote. But yet, you can be pre-adolescent. They'll rip your body apart. Well, I think I'm a man trapped in a body, in a, in a woman's body. No, there's something trapped in their mind, and I don't say that mean. I'm not trying to be mean-spirited. I told you the other day, I go to my daughter's class, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a pterodactyl. That was pretty specific, you know. Raul wants to be a, a monster truck. It's like, what are you going to do, start making him drink oil? But a kid will rip, you know Why? Are, are, and, and that people would be for that. And, and you could just, you can pick whatever ill it is. You know why? Our land's corrupted by sin. But let me just say this, it ought not to be that way with God's people. And by the way, a lot of God's people are just ignorant about what's going on in this world. And let me just say that, if you're ignorant about what's going on in this world, and I say this as kindly as I can, it's because you're choosing to be ignorant. Right? We were coming this morning, and there's another church around the corner from my house, and, and there was people out there with signs. Sign the, part, sign the petition so that, that the parents are informed. They had like five or six people out there with signs. So the parents are going to be for, for, uh, 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 informed if the school wants them to um, do a change. And I'm okay with that. But I, I was thinking as I drove by, Joseph, I got a better idea. Get your kids out of those schools. You, you, look, you can't send your kids to school in Egypt and not have them act like Egyptians. You say, Pastor, that's kind of hard. If you don't understand that, that's okay. But you're sending them to a place that's teaching them all about corruption. And you wonder why our kids are corrupted. 
You wonder why they're headed down. And by the way, you're going to get up and you're, no, 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 Johnny, that's wrong. But Johnny's hearing it 40 hours a week in his school. And you know what you sound like? You sound like a religious bigot. Come on now. Our college kids can't even think. Oh, I just believe this. Explain it. They can't. Because something, some idiotic teacher that you're paying thousands of dollars to is teaching them. And their life's going to be no different. That's why 95%, at least, if you ask me, 95% of those who grow up in churches, as soon as they become adults, they walk away from the faith. We cannot undo in one hour of Sunday school a week what is being uh, uh, fed into their mind five days a week. Now, that was not part of the message, but I'm feeling pretty good. It's important. And so your kids and then the adults, we're the same way. We watch all the nonsense, we follow all the stupidity, and what happens? We wonder why our lives are a train wreck. And I got off off there a little bit, but pray for me. The point is, it doesn't have to be that way. You can have a good family. You can have kids that grow up and love you and want to be a part of your life. But you got to be very careful. James tells us about this. James chapter 1 verse 15 tells us this progression of corruption. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. There's that wrong desire, we give into it, and we have sin, and sin brings death. It's just going downhill. We don't have to be corrupted. So how do you do that? Just stay right. Just stay right. Don't ever feel pressured to do something that's not right. You say, well, pastor, I'm in this situation, and when I'm around it, I feel pressure. Then get away from it. Okay, number three. Chapter nine, verse four. This is a different, this is a different plague. There's death. And the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt, and there shall nothing die of all that is the children of Israel. There's this plague that came on the livestock and they were, they were dying, but guess what? The Israelites' livestock did not die. Now, when I say death, I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about we're killing things in our life. Jesus said, uh, I am come that they might have life. And he doesn't want, want us to just have life, right? He ratcheted it up a notch. He said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. But everywhere we go, if we're not following the word of God, we could be leaving in our way death to everything that's going on in our life. We have to understand that a certain type of lifestyle leads to certain results. That's just how it is. That's just the fact. And if we're living a a non-biblical lifestyle, we're going to suffer non-biblical consequences. But if we live a biblical lifestyle, we can we cannot suffer, but we will uh, experience biblical consequences, which are all good. But we have to make that choice. And by the way, let, let's figure this out. Okay, what's going on in our life? Some of us were killing our marriages. You know, we just want to slip into church enough to keep our spouse quiet. We just want enough, you know, to kind of like, okay, I'm kind of checking it out, but Monday, but the rest of the week I'm doing my own thing. 
We're killing our marriages. We're killing our family. By the way, parents, you have a tremendous responsibility. And so do I. It's a tremendous blessing as well. But what are we leaving them? We bring death to every relationship, all our attitudes. We're killing our futures. Why? Because we're not living a biblical way. We also suffer storms. Look at verse 26 of chapter number nine. This is the, 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 the plague of hail. And it wasn't just hail. It was hail mixed with fire. That doesn't sound good, okay? That sounds very, uh, uh, that sounds very devastating. Verse 26, only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hell. They weren't experiencing all that drama. They weren't experiencing the storms. And I get it. Again, when I'm saying this, don't go through here and say, you know, Pastor, uh, uh, you know, the Bible talks about going through storms. I know, those are the storms of life. Those aren't the storms that we're bringing upon ourselves. And by the way, you know, we don't know what storms are. You know what's hilarious to me? They have politicized weather. What is wrong with us? Now, now let me get this straight. If it's hot, it's because of global warming. But if it's cold, it's also because of global warming. Well, then what do you want me to do? Right? Last week, you know, uh, what did it rain? Was it Monday it rained? Monday and Tuesday? My wife and I were out. It was a holiday. We were out doing some things together, and we stopped somewhere, and the lady on the way out says, stay safe in this storm. I'm like, it's rain. It's just rain. I didn't even have a jacket. It wasn't that hard. This isn't a storm. I mean, I was a kid. It used to be 95 or 100. They'd have the little screen with the fire on there. It's hot outside. Now it's 80 degrees. We call that Spring. I mean, come on. We don't know what storms are. You really want to know what a storm is? Don't live for God. And I, that's, I'm not encouraging you, okay? Pastor said don't live for God. Yeah. But I, I, look, don't allow the storms to come in that don't need to come in. That storm was serious. By the way, Christ gave us away. He says, listen, he said, you're going to have storms of life. He goes, All right, what are you going to build? You build your life on obedience to the scripture. It's like building your house upon a rock, and the storm comes, and you're fine. Amen. But if we're not obeying him, not only are we bringing the wrong storms our way, we're building our house on a foundation of sand. And let me just say this, it's not going to stand. It's not going to stand. I can say this with great accuracy. If you're going through a, if you're doing the right thing and you're going through a storm, God can help you to get through this. But let me just say this. If you're going through a storm because you have chosen to disobey God, you need to change your course of action. You need to go a different direction. Be very, very careful. It's, It's amazing to me that the storms that God allows can mature us, but the storms that we bring upon ourselves destroy us. It ought not to be that way. Look at chapter 10 and verse 15. It says, uh, uh, this is the plague plague of locust. For they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened and they did not eat and and they did eat every herb, herb of the field and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. I mean, the hail destroyed most of it. The locust came in and just cleaned up. And there remained not any green thing in the trees or in the herbs of the field. 
through all, though all, through all the land of Egypt. I mean, the place was devastated. It was barren. There was zero fruit. Now, we know this, and I'll allude to it tonight. God wants us to be fruitful in our lives. God wants us to be fruitful as Christians. Okay? He doesn't want us to be barren. How, did anybody hear you like the desert? Because you need prayer. Okay, you're probably a Raiders fan, right? I, I hate the desert. The desert is something you drive through to get to somewhere better, right? I mean, I like, I like green, and I like, I like mild weather. I like all of that. I like the, where my wife's from, the Pacific Northwest. Love it. It's great. It's beautiful up there. It's as liberal as California, but not much you can do about that. But it's beautiful. Green. If your life was a field, what would it be like? Would it be green, lush? God's working in your life. He's producing fruit in your life. Or do you look around and say, there's not a lot of good things going on? You know, a lot of times our lives are barren because we're destroying them ourselves. Our lifestyle's literally cutting the fruit out. Barren. God wants to work in your life more than you want to work, than you want him to work. Look at chapter 10. I'm just hustling. I want to read through these and we'll be done. He talks about Darkness. Chapter 10, verse 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand towards heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness, now I've never experienced this, maybe you have, which may be felt. That's dark, right? Usually you're in the dark. Give yourself a few minutes, your eyes kind of adjust and you can at least get around without breaking your ankle, right? But I mean, this was God-ordained darkness. And Moses stretched forth his hand towards heaven and there was a thick darkness over all the land of Egypt. Three days. And they saw not one another. You think, I'm married. Maybe that's not too bad. Um, Neither rose any from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Now, we understand what dark is, right? Dark is a symbolism for sin and, 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 and just bad things. But the children of Israel had light. Do we experience darkness? By the way, our darkness would be a choice. We look around at everything around us and it's just like, I don't see anything good. I just see, and I'm not talking about the world. That's just how the world is. I'm talking about our lives. We live in darkness. Here's the biggest one. Look at chapter 12. Their family. Their family. Chapter 12, verse 29 to 30. Of course, we know this is the death of the firstborn. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on the throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, of all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, and his, all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where one was not dead. Do you know why they died? Because the blood wasn't applied. The, the, the adults didn't do their job. The parents didn't do their job. Now, the Egyptians didn't believe. But what about the Israelites? What if the Israelites didn't believe? What if the Israelites were sloppy? You know who paid? Their firstborn. Their firstborn. Look, if nothing else I said touches your heart, if you have children, it ought to. 
I don't, look, I, we can't guarantee what our children do, but I'll tell you what, we'll put them on the right path. And you can just about guarantee what they're going to do. But we are sloppy. We are selfish. And by the way, it would do a lot of parents uh, a lot of good to grow up. I tire, and I'm trying to be nice here. I tire of people who, who wreck their marriages and wreck their families because they're selfish. But what about me? You got married, cowboy. What about my needs? Grow up. Be a man, be a husband, take care of things. I need my time. Okay. Yeah, 30 minutes. No. <laughs> Come on now. We took the responsibility on. Children, by the way, children are a blessing. You say, you haven't met my children. I have. I've met a few of mine, too. They're energetic. I see some of these energetic boys running around. I'm like, look, they have two options. They're either going to be the greatest missionary in the history of the universe or serial killers. Right now, my money's on serial killers. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't, boys with energy don't bother me. They're going to do great things. And by the way, don't, don't, don't hamper that. My little boy fell and scr uh, uh, he scratched his knee. Good, he needs to scratch the other one. Okay? But, but as parents, as spouses, we, we got married. We have a responsibility. We have children. We have a responsibility. And by the way, you're never going to find fulfillment in life by being selfish. You know what happens? If you're not selfish and you throw yourself into your marriage and you throw yourself into your family, you know what happens? You're fulfilled. You're like, man, this is good. Like some of us, you walk around, people, you have more than three kids, they look at you like you're nuts. No, it's a blessing. But we have a responsibility. It is one thing, listen up, adults, it is one thing for you to suffer consequences because of your actions, but let me just tell you, it's quite another when somebody you're supposed to love suffer those consequences because of your actions. Say, Pastor, you're trying to, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to save us from some regret. Because I've seen it. I've seen it. Years ago, we had a guy, and he was a good guy in our church, and he had a family, and, and um, he got it turned around right, but he came over, I think we had a kid, we've had a lot of them, and they brought us a meal, and he sat down, we were talking, and um, He's just like, and he's like, you know, before I came to church here, before I got together, he goes, my whole life was my job. He told me several businesses he had and said, I gave everything to it. I was never at home. He was like, man, I'm providing for my family. He goes, you know what, though? It was a bad decision. He goes, I sold them. I bought and started another business that gave me more time for my family because I saw what I was doing to my family. You know what that's called? That's called being a man. That's called manning up. And you say, I'm not a man. Good. Woman up. But, but look, we have responsibilities. Let's make sure. It, it, it's a sad fact of life. We can put our kids and our, our marriages in a very, very bad place because we're not following God. The greatest thing you can do for your family is follow God. I'll allude to this one and we're done. You know what the last one is? Judgment. Judgment. Now, this one, you have to do something. That, 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 that uh, saving of the firstborn, the blood had to be put on the door. Okay? You know, you have a responsibility. The greatest consequence for sin that anybody could ever experience 
is to die without Jesus Christ. That makes anything else you would have ever experienced on this earth seem like a trip to, 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 to Knott's Berry Farm. That's your responsibility. That is one that will affect you. That is one that's your choice. No one can do it for you. You have to choose Jesus Christ. What's the point this morning? Here's the point. God has so much he wants to do for us. God has so much he wants to do through us. And yet, if we're not willing to follow him, we're going to bring all this stuff into our life that's going to keep that from being a reality. Is that you today? Are you experiencing some things, and you could, if you're honest with yourself, and you look at it and say, you know, it's because of some of these things I'm doing. These are direct result of my not following God. I have, the good, I have great news for you. That can change. All you got to do is start following him. And we can change the narrative. Let's bow our head and close our eyes just for a minute, may, if, if we may. Thank you for listening this morning intently. Let's examine our lives today. You know, what a shame it would have been for the Israelites to experience the consequences of the Egyptians when they're not Egyptians. Their choice. How's your life today? And by the way, we all go through things. I get it. But are, are, have you allowed some things in your life? Maybe you were doing well as a Christian. You've allowed a few things into your life and you're starting to see the consequences. It's starting to, it's starting to uh, those, those uh, bad seeds were planted are starting to grow. Maybe you're like, hey, I, I'm, I'm doing well, but I gotta just be very careful. I wanna keep it going well. Don't experience a problem that God never, that God never intended for you to experience. And then maybe you're here and you're on that last one, judgment. You've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. If you were to die today, are you 100% for sure that you would go to heaven or do you have some doubt? With nobody looking around, is that you? Say, Pastor, I think that's me. I'm not 100% for sure that I would go to heaven. I actually do have some doubt, but that's something I'd like to take care of today. Pastor, would you pray for me with nobody looking around? If you'll just raise your hand real quick, I'll recognize it and I'll pray for you. Anybody like that at all? Yes, back here. See your hand, I'll pray for you. Yes. May we stand together this morning. Let's all stand together as the piano is playing. Did God speak to you? Do you, re do you can you think of some things in your life? It's like, I gotta get this dealt with. I've got to get back on the biblical track. I'm starting to see my life go sideways, and I don't want to see that. Why don't you come to the altar and do business with God?